Good morning. My name is Good morning. My name is Sarah Morant with Alberta Health, and I'll be your moderator for this morning's telephone town hall to continue the conversation about refocusing healthcare in Alberta. This morning, I'm joined by the Minister of Health, Adriana LaGrange, as well as Deputy Minister of Health, Andre Tremblay, the new Alberta Health Services Board Chair, Dr. Lyle Oberg, and the President and CEO of Alberta Health Services, Moro Kias. We are also joined by senior officials from the Department of Health, Mental Health and Addiction, and Seniors Community and Social Services. Before we hear from Minister LaGrange, let me start by explaining how this town hall will work. Right now, across Alberta, Alberta, people are connecting to the call and soon you will have a chance to join the conversation. You can get in line to ask a question or share your feedback right now or at any time by pressing star three on your phone. For those of you listening online, please enter your comment directly into the portal. We hope to use this time to start the conversation by listening to your ideas and your suggestions, as well as answering any questions you may have. I'd now like to welcome Minister of Health, Adriana LaGrange, to share some opening remarks. Minister, please go ahead. Great, thank you so much and good morning, everyone. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. I know uh, the last week, um, last week's announcements uh, may have caused some anxiety and we're here to answer questions for you. So we're all, after all, uh, talking about change and change I know is never easy. And even when that change is for the better. So thank you again for being on this call. Really appreciate it. That's why I'm here today along with my uh, with the new AHF board, Dr. Lau Oberg, to address your questions and your concerns. We will also be joined by officials, as was stated earlier, from Alberta Health, from Mental Health and Addiction, and also Seniors, Community and Social Services that are here on behalf of my colleagues, Minister Dan Williams and Minister Jason Nixon. And for those of you joining us to better understand what the changes are and what they mean to you, please let me give you a short recap. So for too long, we've watched you buckle under the strains and stresses of an inefficient healthcare system. Not only has it been failing too many Albertans, but it has also been failing you, the ones who do the work and care for us in our most vulnerable times. It's not good for anyone. And so we are refocusing the system and creating a fully integrated structure that revolves around four priority areas, primary care, acute care, continuing care, and mental health and addiction. This change is largely at the governance level and will not affect most healthcare workers' day-to-day -day work. I want to be clear, we anticipate that there will be no job losses for AHF staff working in frontline positions directly delivering care to patients. For the majority of frontline healthcare workers, you will continue to do your job and in fact many of you will continue to work for AHF. We will continue to forge ahead with recruiting more doctors, nurses, paramedics, and other healthcare professionals where we need them. And one of the benefits of this new structure will be dedicated leadership who will now be able to focus on their particular sector and the health care workers in it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Another benefit we see is strengthening decision-making at the local level. These new organizations will help to do that. And so too will new local advisory councils that will be created. You know your own role best and the needs on the ground, and we want to empower you to be able to make more decisions. Overall, we want you to feel better supported, better heard, and better able to do your important work without system obstacles. 
but we do not want to move forward without your input. For too long, decisions have been made without hearing from the very people it will affect the most. This changes, <clears throat> pardon me, these changes will start today. We want to know what's working now and what needs to change. And who better to tell us than the people who live it each and every day. After all, a, a major reason for this change was that we needed to start prioritizing the overall well-being of healthcare workers. So starting with making your jobs easier by cutting out the daily frustrations of hurdles layers of approvals, and decisions that don't make sense for your area. We know all of this gets in the way of caring for Albertans and can lead to job dissatisfaction, stress, and burnout. And ironically, a healthcare system that is itself unhealthy. We need your help to strengthen our healthcare system and bring back its vitality. By joining us today, you are, you are already helping us by being willing to engage with us. We are planning many engagement opportunities, so if you are unable to go get through today, there will be ways you can do so in the coming weeks and months ahead. There are also various channels through which you can reach us at, at telephone town halls like today's, in-person sessions that will be scheduled in the weeks ahead, and through a survey on our website at www.alberta.ca slash healthcare. Again, www.alberta.ca healthcare. So thank you again for joining us today and I look forward to starting on this road to a better healthcare system with all of you. And with that, I'll turn it back over to Sarah to moderate the questions. Thanks so much, Minister, and thank you to everyone who is just joining this morning's telephone town hall. Joining us this morning are Minister of Health, Adriana Lagrange, as well as the Deputy Minister of Alberta Health, Andre Tremblay, the new Alberta Health Services Board Chair, Dr. Lyle Oberg, and the President and CEO of Alberta Health Services, Mauro Kiaz. We're also joined by senior officials from across the Department of Health, Mental Health and Addiction, and Seniors Community and Social Services. If you would like to join the conversation right now or at any time, you can do so by pressing star three on your phone. I'd like to uh, get the conversation started and go to our very first question that was submitted from Pam, who's listening online this morning. And Pam says, how will this new structure actually help to support the workforce? So thank you, Pam, for the question. And I'll start by saying that this new structure really is about focusing and refocusing on priority sector areas. And so, um, as was indicated, we are looking at continuing care, primary care, acute care, mental health and addictions, really having leadership that is laser focused on making improvements in those areas and less layers um, of uh, ability from the front lines to the top to be able to provide their input. So really looking at streamlining um, AHS and all of the organizational structures that are, are going to be put in place and really hearing your voices. As was indicated, we're not going to be doing this overnight. It's going to take time. And one of the first things we really want to do is hear from all healthcare um, professionals who want to provide their input into how we can you know, do things differently and, and do it better because oftentimes you're on the front lines, you hear it, you know what could be done, but for whatever reason, um, it doesn't translate into action. So we really want to see action put in into um, the recommendations that come forward from the workforce itself. Dr. Oberg, anything you'd like to add to that?
Sorry, I guess you have to push a button to get on the mic. Um, I think that the delineation into the four units is critically important. I think it, it gives priorities to uh, uh, primary care, for example, to mental health and addictions, as well as the continuing care component. And uh, I really commend the government and the minister for taking these steps. Uh, the functional element of this is incredibly important. Thanks so much, Dr. Oberg. The next question is submitted from Christine, who's listening online. And Christine says, what is being done to promote cross-ministerial partnerships to assist healthcare workers in supporting vulnerable Albertans, for example, with human services, seniors, and housing? Minister? Uh, thank you, Christine. Uh, great question and something that uh, I know that the board um, and all of AHS and all the organizations, organizational structures that are put in place are really going to be focused on because what we don't want is silos. We don't want silos. We want, <clears throat> pardon me, a seamless journey for the patient. And uh, what uh, I'm a rehab practitioner by profession and something that I've always advocated for is authentic wraparound services. And so really putting the, uh, the patient at the center of the healthcare journey and meeting them where they are, but also transitioning them to where they need to be. And so um, there has to be a lot of thought that goes into how this is, is actualized on the ground, but knowing that we have to keep this in the forefront of the decision-making um, will ensure that as we create these structures, that that thought process is incorporated into that. So cross-ministry support is huge, but we also have to utilize technology and some of the other factors that we haven't to date been able to utilize to um, the full extent so that we can make sure that uh, information sharing is, is able to happen, that the individual, as I said earlier, is at the center of the decision-making. The patient um, is, is paramount. Dr. Oberg, anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I, I would suggest that by virtue of the structure itself, it's brought into, into alignment three different ministries. And in government, that's critically important. I think the ability to work together, um, having the various bureaucracies and the, and the deputy minister and the departments themselves work together, as you say, to focus on the patient, um, on the person, is incredibly important and, and uh, that's something that's been a goal for a long, long time of government in general and we've, they've pushed towards it, but it's our goal to get it across the goal line here at the moment. Thanks, Dr. Oberg. The next question comes from Pauline listening online and Pauline says, what will happen to labs in the new model? Will it be put into acute care? Well, labs right now fits into acute care, and, and obviously um, Alberta Precision Labs is an extension of AHS, and the majority of work does happen within acute care. But that being said, there is also a large portion that does happen in community. And so um, right now, uh, the vision is that it would fit under the acute care uh, organizational structure, and um, that is uh, where it's going to be at the moment. Thanks, Minister. The next question comes from Kristen, listening live from Calgary. Um, Kristen, go ahead. Your line is now open. Hi, Minister. Um, thanks for taking my call. Um, my question is about Indigenous health and how Indigenous health will be delivered and administered in the new refocused health system. 
and whether it will have a centralized hub or if it's going to be split between the new organizations because it's obviously there's a lot of complicated issues in in many um, areas but especially in indigenous health it's like there's uh, it touches in every single one of the proposed organizations so I'm curious how that's going to be organized and administered. Uh, great question, uh, Kristen, and and really what we're looking at in Indigenous health, I, obviously um, you were probably aware that um, a, couple, a few weeks ago I, I made public the reports from the Modernizing Alberta's Primary Care System. There was an Indigenous panel, so there is an Indigenous um, MAPS report that is out there. We are uh, going to act on all those recommendations. There are a few quick um, areas where we're actually moving on right away in terms of a, a patient navigator, an Indigenous patient navigator, an elders roster, uh, looking at, uh, at uh, addressing the racism concerns that have been expressed. And as we move into the medium and, and long-term areas as well, um, one thing that we have been able to do is we're going to create a Indigenous department within Alberta Health to really focus on Indigenous health because we know there's a lot of challenges and yes, you're right, they cross all, across all of the four uh, different sectors. And so really focusing on that, having a department that is focused on how we are able to, to um, move Indigenous patients and, and how they go through the whole system is, is very key. So having that patient-centered Indigenous health focus and lens is something that uh, is very important to us and is going to be incorporated within every single sector. Dr. Oberg, anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I, I would just say that um, the Indigenous health is incredibly important and in, for a group and society that has typically fallen between the cracks in many ways, we're going to ensure, ensure that those cracks aren't there. And when we talk about um, siloing, we absolutely are not talking about Indigenous health. If every one of these four um, uh, modes of, of uh, health care touches the Indigenous population very much and will ensure that the continuity is there. That's absolutely critical. We can't have anyone fall through the cracks. And if I could just add one more thing uh, to, to the conversation, it would be that um, in my conversations with the Minister of Health, the Federal Minister of Health, we also know that they have a part to play in Indigenous health. And so we're really making sure to have those conversations with um, Minister Holland and make him aware of, of the gaps and the additional resources that are required as well from their, from their jurisdictional stand. So thank you. Thanks very much, Minister. The next question is from Lindsay, who's listening live in Edmonton this morning. Lindsay, go ahead. Your line is now open. Hi. Yeah. Um, we've you've mentioned that feedback from healthcare providers is desired to make improvements to our system, and that there will be opportunities to participate, um, maybe in local health advisories. My question is, where can continuing care operators find information about these groups, how to join and how to participate in some way? Great question. I'm going to turn that over to my department, over to Andre, um, who is my deputy minister. Andre, would you like to share how we're going to approach those? Sure, and thanks for the question. So as was announced last week, we are going to be standing up the provincial 
continuing care organization in the spring of 2024. Obviously, there'll be a significant effort required to do that. For any continuing care uh, operator that wants more detail on, on the overall plan, on the development of the organization, or that would like to provide input into that, you can reach out directly to the department. Um, my uh, email's online, but it's andre.tremblay at gov.ab.ca, and uh, we can start a dialogue. We, we want this uh, emerging continuing care model to be collaborative and to involve all kinds of different operators across the province. And if you have uh, thoughts or suggestions on how we move to this collaborative model, we'd love to hear them from you directly. Thanks, Deputy Minister Tremblay. The next question that we have is from Jim, who's listening online this morning. And Jim says, how will Alberta Health ensure there is frontline collaboration between the four organizations? So, uh, great question, Jim. And what uh, we, we have in place is that there will be an integration council. So, the integration council really will have the leadership of all four of those organizations meeting regularly to discuss issues with also administration from my department and including myself. I will be heading that integration council. Also, it will be cross ministry. So, there will be the Ministry of Community and Social Services. And seniors Community and Social Services and Mental Health and Addiction as well, and they will sit as part of that council to really have those, those discussions on how we can continue to have uh, cross-ministry work as well as cross-sector work so that there does not become this siloed um, uh, uh, siloing of health. Really, again, putting patients at the center of the care and also making sure that we are hearing from the workforce. So the other piece is that um, we have instructed the, the boards and we'll be instructing, instructing the other transitional boards to put structures in place so that we can hear directly from the front lines on an ongoing basis. Thanks so much, Minister. And moving on to our next participant this morning, we have Laurel, who's listening live from Calgary. Laurel, please go ahead. Your line is now open. Hi, good morning. Thank you. Um, as a, you know, a provider, a patient and a family who has access to Alberta Health Services, I just want to know a few things. First of all, what's going to happen with our public health? So things like well child and immunizations, um, health inspectors. Uh, what's going to happen with all our clinics that are currently in acute care sites that are actually outpatient clinics? Um, obviously not acute care, but really important for the health of our population. Um, and finally, um, in Alberta, our great advantage apparently is that we get to defund services left, right and center compared to other provinces. Um, so what guarantees do we have that more services won't be defunded or put out for private for-profit vendors? Thank you. Thank you for the questions. and. Really, this is about improving patient uh, care, improving uh, the patient journey. Um, as I've said over and over again, we want to put the patient at the center of the journey. Uh, often, it's the bureaucracy that's at the center of the journey, and the patient has to navigate around the bureaucracies. 
or or bureaucracy that's in place. So really, uh, it's it's about um, ensuring that there is a seamless transition for for the patient as they go perhaps through acute care to primary care or primary care to acute care, or perhaps even into continuing care. Um, this is going to be, this is the start of the journey. We're not at the end of the journey. We will be talking about how uh, public health, acute care sites, all of those areas that you were talking about are addressed as we move forward. So we really want to make sure that this is done thoughtfully, where it makes sense that um, organizations or the organizational structure will cover which areas which make sense for it. So um, again, we, we want to hear from you and we thank you for, for sharing your, your thoughts on this. Um, but this is really at the initial stages and we will have more to say as we move forward on this. Dr. Oberg, would you like to add anything? Yeah, certainly. Um, the public health component of any healthcare system is critically important, um, whether it's vac vaccinating children, whether it's um, being seen in a preventative, whether it's screening procedures, all of these things are incredibly important and in that they pay dividends down the road for the population's better health. And certainly, certainly we're committed to that. Thanks, Dr. Oberg. Uh, continuing the conversation this morning, we have a question that is from James, who's listening online. And James says, are there any other provinces with a system like this? Minister? Um, there are, we were the first province in Canada and in many parts of the world that went to one um, geographic health system, one regional health system. And so uh, other provinces are not in the same situation we're in. Um, obviously, uh, we have seen the great challenges that we've been facing over the last number of years, um, and I dare say a decade that we've gotten to, to where we're at. And so um, while other provinces are looking at, um, I, I know, in, in fact, that Quebec is looking to going, going to one geographical health system, uh, similar to what we have, they are also looking to maintain control of certain areas of funding, et cetera. So they're in process at the moment on that. And Dr. Oberg, I know you have um, you have been around the world, and maybe you have some experiences you'd like to share. Yeah, uh, to be fair, I think the functional element of the four different um, uh, programs is critically important, and you're seeing other countries move to the functional element as opposed to purely a geographic by being able to pay attention to specifically to primary care, to mental health, to continuing care, to acute care. Everyone has seen that, that um, these particular areas each are important and each have to have an important voice at the governance level and that's, that's what we're doing here. Thanks so much, Dr. Oberg. The next question this morning is from Sylvia, and Sylvia is listening online and says, when will the recruitment for the leadership of the four new organizations begin? Uh, well, I will turn that over to my, uh, my deputy minister because um, this, as we indicated, the recruitment uh, for um, continuing care as well as um, mental health and addictions. Uh, those organizations will be stood up in the spring of 2024, the other ones in the fall of 2024. So 
on a timeline, Andre, could you share that? Sure, and, and I'll uh, defer to DM Romano on the leadership plans for the mental health organization here in a minute. In terms of continuing care, as I mentioned previously, that organization will be stood up in the spring of 2024, so therefore we will need a CEO and a leadership group to uh, to lead that organization here uh, within the next sort of six to seven months. So recruitment for that position will be a priority early in 2024. In terms of the acute care organization and the primary care organization, they are set to be stood up in the fall of 2024. So we'll need leadership in those two organizations as well. So that'll occur after the continuing care organization stood up in the spring. And, uh, and so that'll be a little bit later, but still a priority for 2024. With that, I'll turn it over to uh, Evan to talk about mental health and addictions. Great. Thanks, Andre. And uh, I think in some regards, the mental health and addiction part of, of this transformation is uh, already underway. There has been a consolidation within Alberta Health Services. Carrie Bales, who's the chief program officer, uh, along with Dr. Nick Mitchell, are, are leading the, the work. There's been uh, operational alignment within AHS for consistency in how uh, services are are being delivered across the province, and uh, and so that work is underway. Kerry and, and his team are continuing to to lead some of the transition planning work uh, that's outlined to make sure that there's very strong alignment with the other parts of of the system, and uh, that the the patient and quality of care is at the the center of all decisions being made. Thanks very much. The next question comes from Rebecca, who's listening live from Edmonton this morning. Rebecca, go ahead. Your line is now open. Hello. Um, my question is, how does Covenant Health fit in with all of this? Um, I saw a quote in an article talking about how it will no longer be funded through AHS. There's been a lot of talk about AHS and how we can anticipate not to see a lot of immediate changes as frontline workers and our jobs. Um, so if AHS is responsible for hospitals, et cetera, all the acute care stuff, what about Covenant Health hospitals? Um, considering there's some major hospitals under Covenant Health, such as Grey Nuns in Edmonton. Thanks, Rebecca, for the, the question. Um, so currently what exists right now is that Alberta Health Services has a contract with Covenant Health. And what will change uh, once the new organizational structure is set up, it, which is the acute care uh, organizational structure, uh, once that is set up, then Covenant Health will have a contract directly with the acute care structure, as will AHS, as will chartered surgical facilities. Um, so that is just the change. So it really is on an organizational side. Um, right now, as I said, the money flows to AHS and from AHS to Covenant Health. In the future, it'll flow directly from the acute care structure to AHS and also parallel to Covenant Health. Uh, so there, there's no change in, in the sense of, of the, the dollars. It's only who is overall overarchingly looking after those. Thanks, Minister. The next question comes from Janine listening online, and it says, are there plans to use measurement-based care for mental health and addictions outcomes? So perhaps I'll ask Deputy Minister Evan Romano to go ahead on that. 
Great. Thanks so much for the question, uh, Janine. Yeah, absolutely. And, and probably this is one of the greater areas why there's a, a real interest to look at how we're actually uh, creating more oversight for the care that's being delivered and across the province. Um, instead of there being, for example, in, in business plans or, or annual reports, only a small reference to, to outcomes and, and really it's, it's uh, wait lists, it's how many people are going through a turnstile. We've got uh, underway already. It's in a brand new Ministry of Mental Health and Addiction business plan, uh, a fairly strong uh, mechanism to look at how we're measuring outcomes, looking at the system level, looking at the community and individual levels. And really part of the, the work underway is how you drive that outcome measurement uh, in a consistent way through health service providers, AHS, but also uh, providers in community, how we're measuring those outcomes. Because it's, again, not just your interactions with the healthcare system. We actually want to make sure that uh, people are better, that they're uh, in states of recovery, that they're sustainable to deal uh, with the types of challenges on mental health and addiction fronts. So there's a robust plan that, that is underway working through Alberta Health Services to drive that out. But that really is the basis as driven through government's business plan to make sure we're focusing on outcomes. Thanks, Evan. The next question comes from Jasmine, who's listening online. And Jasmine says, you said that no Albertan will have to pay out of pocket for medically necessary care. Does this mean Alberta will be more stingy on who receives coverage and why? And so perhaps I'll have Dr. Oberg go ahead to start. And if there's others, we can join the conversation after. Absolutely. Um, there will be no patient, no person in Alberta paying out of pocket for uh, medically necessary procedures, and no, we will not be more stingy. We will not decrease that. Medically necessary procedures are something that are 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 very important to Albertans, the population of Albertans, and the Albertan government. So the short and easy answer is um, no, that we will not be stingy. And Minister, do you have anything more you wanted to share on that one? No, I think uh, Dr. Oberg uh, highlighted everything that, uh, you know, this is a publicly funded, publicly delivered healthcare system. Um, you know, sometimes it is uh, delivered by other areas or other means, but if it's, um, if it's uh, covered under the um, Canadian uh, Health Act or under the Healthcare Insurance Act, then it will continue to be covered and we will not be stingy. So thank you, Dr. Oberg, for that clarity. Thanks, Minister LaGrange. Keeping the conversation going, the next question comes from Vincent in Calgary. And Vincent says, I'm wondering if Minister can speak to how the reorg will affect Connect Care and health information systems. Sorry, uh, sorry on that, uh, hit the wrong button. Uh, so thank you for the question. How, how will it affect Connect Care? I know that Connect Care is in its uh, uh, final stages of, of being implemented across the province. We certainly want to ensure that Connect Care and information transfer is handled appropriately and positively. Uh, we know that there are areas where there, uh, you know, the, the connection of information between primary care and, and acute care is not happening to the level that it should happen. So we will be looking at opportunities to improve that. Um, but right now, there's there's no change to Connect Care, if I heard your question correctly. 
and um, perhaps Andre or Dr. Olberg would like to add to that. Sure. Thanks, Minister. And, and the goal is to ensure that systems like Connect Care are more broadly available across uh, multiple modes of care in the healthcare system. And what was announced last week is uh, the consolidation of governance around IT to ensure that every system that we have in place is uh, accessible um, in order to improve care if, if, it, if it makes sense. And uh, to Minister's point, we do know we have limitations uh, in terms of primary care um, professionals connecting into Connect Care. That's one example uh, of an issue that we definitely need to solve. And, and this, uh, this new structure will allow us to address those issues more directly. Yeah, thank you. I, I would just also say to this that information transfer uh, is of paramount importance. There's nothing worse when you're a frontline worker and not having the whole story on a patient when a patient comes in. So I feel that it's my job, but one of the most important elements of my job is to work with the department to ensure that the information is at the right place at the right time for the right person to the right provider. Uh, critically, critically important. And uh, like I say, I believe that's Thanks very much for that. The next participant this morning is Megan, and she's listening live on the line. Megan, please go ahead. Your line's now open. Hi, thanks for taking my question. Yeah, I was just wondering with the new restructuring with AHS, how will this affect uh, ground ambulance providers that are, usually, that are normally contracted by AHS right now? Nothing changes in that regard at, at this point in time. Okay, sounds good. Thanks. Thanks very much, Minister. And keeping the conversation going, we have Inca, who's listening live this morning or this afternoon. We are now from Edmonton. Inca, go ahead. Your line is now open. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, my name is Inca Tillman. I'm a general internist in Edmonton, uh, working at the Sturgeon Hospital and also in a private clinic. Um, my question is about Connect Care, and I'm very happy to hear you say that information transfer is of paramount importance to this organization. Um, our clinic has been using Connect Care in our community clinic for three years, and it works very well because we're a bunch of specialists who also work in acute care. So we use the same electronic medical record in clinic as we do in hospital. However, we have been told that Connect Care will be pulled from our office come March 2024 because of a legal mandate that a non-AHS facility or a private clinic cannot use Connect Care. So, it's at the point where I can't imagine going back to a, an old EMR and transferring all my charts, considering quitting my outpatient practice if this is what um, we're being forced to do. So I would love to hear your comments on this and hopefully a reversal of the plan to remove the Connect Care EMR when it's working so well from us and actually see it spread to other community clinics in the future. And, and that would be my vision, that it actually spreads beyond um, obviously, um, the funding for Connect Care came from the Alberta government, came from Albertans, and it should be accessible in, in a wider purview. So that is certainly something that we're looking at to, to make it more accessible rather than less accessible. And, and so um, that will be ongoing uh, discussions that we have in, in the coming uh, weeks and months ahead. Um, Andre or Dr. Oberg, if you'd like to add anything. 
Yeah, Hinka, we'll, we'll ensure that that doesn't happen. Um, so you can take that one to the bank. Thanks so much, Dr. Oberg, and thanks again, Minister LaGrange. The next uh, participant this afternoon is Mary, who's listening live from Central Alberta. Uh, Mary, please go ahead. Your line is now open. A lot of zone special programs, such as palliative care, that has the privilege of following patients throughout their health journey and consults across every sector of the healthcare system. How do you ensure the delivery of these programs when we're siloing the healthcare system? Where do these important programs fit in? You were breaking up a little bit, but I think your question was about palliative care and making sure that it wasn't siloed across the province uh, because it does cross over various uh, sectors. Um, and, and really, again, it's about focusing the fact that uh, primary care is going to be focused on primary care, acute care on, um, on acute care and continuing care on uh, continuing care items as well as mental health on, on those items doesn't mean that we are not going to make sure that palliative care, um, regardless of where it fits in, and, and right now we would um, see it fitting in more under the um, continuing care piece um, as part of the journey of an individual um, at, the, at their end of life stages. But when, when you look at who is going to, you know, from an organizational standpoint, that won't make a difference in terms of making sure that we give the best care possible to individuals. Really, the, the structure is going to be laser focused on making sure that we do have, in fact, a strong palliative care uh, network that goes right across the whole province, that isn't fragmented, and that does provide seamless journey from acute care into uh, palliative care or from primary care into palliative care, wherever that um, individual enters into the journey. So, Dr. Oberg, anything you'd add to that? Yeah, the only thing I would add is palliative care is critically important, continuing care is critically important, and you simply, at that stage in your life, you simply cannot fall through the cracks. So we'll do everything possible to ensure that we have one of the best palliative care programs in the country. And, uh, you know, again, that's, that's critically, critically important. Thanks very much. Our next participant this afternoon is Tashasa, um, who's listening live from Wetaskiwin. Tashasa, please go ahead. Your line is now open. Hi there. My name's Tasha. And, again, my question is involving recruitment. So I'm just wondering what plans you have to implement better bridging programs for physicians and medical providers from other countries and what you're thinking about to reduce barriers for high-quality workers getting into the field. So we do have a, currently a health workforce strategy that we're implementing. We've seen some success. Um, we've had about 255 doctors registered to practice in Alberta just in the last four months alone. We have roughly about 3,900 more nurses um, than we had last year practicing in Alberta. And I know the College of Physicians and Surgeons, um, as well as many of the other colleges and the other health disciplines are looking at how they can streamline the process. I know for physicians in particular, they are addressing the assessment uh, piece where it was six months and six months um, for assessments of a total of a year. And now it's, it's reduced down to a three and three month assessment period, but I know Dr. Oberg has been sitting on the College of Physicians and Surgeons and could probably mention a few more areas that we're looking at. 
Yeah, absolutely. The College Physicians and Surgeons is, is committed to ensuring that foreign doctors are put through the system as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Uh, one of their mandates, though, and probably the most important mandate that they have is to protect the public. So they have to ensure that there's a competency there. And sometimes it takes a little while. Um, but their program is, as the minister has suggested, has gone down from a year down to a total of six months. Um, the assessment is very complete, but it's also uh, needs to be quicker, and they're moving to put people through as quickly as possible while protecting the public. Thanks, Dr. Oberg. The next question comes from Tanya, who's listening online, and Tanya says, what is the method for evaluating if this change is effective? Thank you, Tanya. Uh, the the question is an important one because uh, we need to make sure that we are in fact uh, seeing continuous improvement and that we're actually moving uh, the system in a positive direction. And so we have what is called the Health Quality Council of Alberta, uh, who we are going to um, actually uh, enhance their role and function to make sure that we have the proper standards in place and, and that we get the proper outcomes. And I know Dr. Oberg is very uh, focused on this. So Dr. Oberg, would you like to expand upon that? Yeah, certainly. Um, key performance indicators are crit critically important. Uh, to be able to measure against an indicator and in showing the progress that you've made or lack of progress uh, is critically important. And I, I think the Health Quality Commission uh, board is the right place to do it, and certainly I can guarantee the cooperation from Alberta Health Services in collecting the right data, in collecting the data that's needed to show the improvement, or, you know, hopefully not, but hopefully or not the lack of improvement, but we need to know it. We have to have those indicators. It's uh, Andre Trombley here, and, and just want to reinforce uh, Obviously, the relationship with the HQCA is really important, but the department is also bolstering um, its expertise and adding additional staff to ensure that we have an evaluation framework that um, lays out a really strong roadmap for how this transformation will be successful in an evidence-based and transparent way. And so it, it's a partnership between the department, between AHS, other healthcare organizations, and the HQCA, because we know if we launch something like this without that evaluation framework, we won't understand it, the effectiveness in a way in which people will understand. So lots of work being undertaken to ensure that we have the data, the analytics, the key performance indicators that show that we're improving care on the ground for patients and be able to publicly report on that progress as well. Thanks so much, Andre, and thanks for the question. If you haven't had a chance yet to join the conversation and you would like to do so, just a reminder, you can press star three on your phone, or if you're listening online, you can enter your question or comments directly into that feedback portal. The next question is submitted from Diane, who's listening online. And Diane says, can you please tell us more about the 12 advisory councils Alberta Health is planning? How will it affect AHS community engagement, the 12 health advisory councils, the four provincial advisory councils, and the wisdom council? 
Great question. And uh, so currently AHS has uh, 12 advisory councils that are in place that provide uh, feedback to AHS directly. And my understanding is that feedback hasn't always um, made it to where it needs to go or that it hasn't been um, utilized as it should. And so what we're looking to do on the 12 advisory councils, which now will actually provide input directly to, to the integration council and to the minister themselves, um, that they, they will have more of a broad-based, um, more uh, of a perspective that can be utilized throughout the whole system. Um, and also, when you look at, we're also adding an additional Indigenous council that will represent the Indigenous voice right across the whole province as well. Really looking at being less um, less uh, segmented and, and more really cross-ministry cross advising on the um, on, on, the, on what we're hearing at the front lines and what you're seeing and how things could be different. We also anticipate that there will be more of a municipal voice on these councils as well. We, I've heard very loudly from municipal leaders that their voice has been lacking or missing um, at the AHS level. And so we certainly want to hear that across the whole province as well. Uh, Dr. Oberg, anything you would add to that? No, I, I think the uh, information gathering from the advisory councils is going to be invaluable. We need to hear what is exactly happening in some of our smaller communities and our larger communities around the province. And having that ability to have these councils uh, give us their input is in incredibly valuable and certainly will be looked upon that way. Thanks, Dr. Oberg. The next question is going to come from Heather, who's listening live today from Calgary. Heather, please go ahead. Your line is now open. Hi, good morning. Thank you very much for taking the time. Um, so you did say that there would be no um, risk of job loss for frontline workers. What do you say to the support staff who have been a little concerned about where they fit in to all of these changes and their concerns about whether their positions that they currently hold, whether they'll be able to um, have a job within the next six months or a year with all of these changes that are coming. Great question. And, and really, um, I, I'm assuming by support staff, you're talking about IT, HR, finance, et cetera. Um, not frontline support staff in terms of um, health care aides, et cetera. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll take it as that is your question. And um, really, we're not, um, while we're looking at the organizational structure, we still anticipate that the vast majority of, of people that currently work within AHS will still be working within AHS in the acute care sector. And so, therefore, you will still need IT staff. You will still need um, financial uh, staff, uh, HR people. So, again, we will be looking at all those positions. Some of those positions, if they fit more into a different sector, say continuing care, um, then those would be transitioned under that sector heading. But still, those jobs we anticipate are going to be required. Our priority is to protect the frontline staff and really look at making sure that we have an efficient system. But again, knowing that we have 
um, a lot of people that are, are supporting that system to make it happen. And th they will still need to be required to support that system. So again, nothing's happening overnight. It's going to be done thoughtfully over time. We're looking at, you know, really 18 to 24 months and really making sure that uh, the right people are working in the right spots, doing the right jobs. Is there anything you'd like to add, Dr. Oberg? Yeah, I, I would just say that the frontline worker will always need back-end support. And regardless of what system you move towards, that support always has to be there, and we're extremely cognizant of that. Thanks very much. The next question is submitted from Louise, who's listening online, and it says, how will those in provincial positions, such as policy creation, rollout of initiatives, and education of staff and units across the province be affected? Those in governance positions, um, rollout of staff, et cetera. Um, again, we're gonna utilize um, all of that expertise and that knowledge in the best way possible. Um, with that, I, I think I'll transition it over to my deputy minister who will bring more clarity. Yeah, I think this question really relates to the previous one. And, and you know, we have tremendous frontline workers across the province that are diff uh, delivering different clinical services. Um, there's a whole series of people that support those frontline staff, whether it's corporate services, administration, um, education, policy development on specific programming, infrastructure management, and the list goes on and on. And, and so when, when we say we want to protect the front line, it also needs to contemplate all of those individuals that are supporting the front line. And so I think it's important, as, as uh, Minister LaGrange and Dr. Olberg said, those supporting staff are critical to the delivery of all of the services that we're ultimately responsible for across the province. And that does need to be taken into consideration as we shift into this new organizational structure. Thanks very much for that, Andre. The next question submitted online is from Amanda. And Amanda says, will current AHS addiction and mental health employees continue to be employed by AHL at AHS or will we now be employed by the government of Alberta or a new organization? Great, it's uh, Evan Romano, uh, Deputy Minister of Mental Health and Addiction. So no, absolutely part of the uh, oversight is the minister, there's a new minister, Ministry of Mental Health and Addiction, but it performs the function just like the Minister and Ministry of Health with setting those uh, priorities, uh, looking at the budgetary allocations, but absolutely the service delivery that is being done by Alberta Health Services and Alberta Health Services staff. Uh, the intention is for that to carry on under a new organization that is delivering mental health and addiction services. So those, that service delivery will continue in that way, regardless of what that future name of the organization, that isn't a shift into the government of Alberta. And really that service delivery space is, is very uniquely positioned for, for these uh, future state organizations to, to make sure that they're doing that direct front end delivery, which is very separate from the back end policy government work. 
Thanks very much, Evan. Uh, Minister LaGrange, I know that you have to uh, exit this conversation for another commitment. Would you like to um, offer some closing words here to say goodbye to folks? Uh, yes, please. Thank you so much. And I'm sorry I do have to run to another meeting, but I really appreciate this opportunity. Please, please continue to be engaged. Please take part in the face-to-face -face, um, meetings when we have those uh, those engagement sessions set up and continue to, to jump on these town halls because it is so critically important that we hear from all of you. So thank you again for this opportunity and I'm looking forward to more opportunities like this. Thank you. Thanks so much, Minister LaGrange. And keeping the conversation going, I will take the next question from Kelly, who's listening online. And Kelly says, how will you mitigate the negative impacts of your proposed change on staff morale? So before I turn it over to Dr. Olberg, I'm sure he'll have comments on this one. Um, last week, not only did we announce a refocus uh, in terms of healthcare governance and structure, but we also announced likely the most comprehensive engagement with healthcare workers in recent memory. And so that engagement will be starting here in the next number of weeks. And, and what we really want to accomplish with that is on the ground conversation with staff around challenges and opportunities, around creating a work environment where decision-making can be made in the most practical and timely way as possible, where we can reduce red tape and of equal importance, um, your advice and thoughts on how we can stand this structure up and maximize the benefit for patients and healthcare workers. So it's been, it was an interesting announcement in that it was about structure and governance, but um, of equal or greater importance, it was announcing launching into an authentic engagement with our healthcare workers to ensure we get this right. Yeah, thanks, Andrea. I would just add that uh, change is not always negative. Um, this change, uh, we've heard a lot from people in the field. We've heard a lot from frontline workers. We've heard a lot from people who are dealing with patients every day. Um, they told us their issues and the time is now to correct them. And what our goal is going to be at the end of the day that everyone is happier about going to work each and every day that they're providing a wonderful level of care to the patients. And it's our hope that the negative consequences are kept to an absolute minimum and that everyone will be positive on this. Thanks so much, Dr. Oberg. The next question submitted is from Lester, who's listening online. And Lester says, will the mental health and addiction organization operate the specialty AMH programs that AHS now operates? So I'll ask Deputy Minister Evan Romano to please go ahead. Hi, Lester. And yes, quite simply, the new organization will be responsible for the delivery of the mental health and addiction services, which are currently being delivered by Alberta Health Services. Thanks very much for that, uh, Evan. The next question submitted online is from Amanda, and Amanda says, how will frontline staff access decision-making from the board, specifically from the ministers? What type of decisions would be made at these levels? And so I'll ask Deputy Minister Andre Tremblay to please go ahead. It's a fundamental question. I, I know Dr. Olberg will have commentary on this as well. But I'll, I'll repeat a couple of comments that I made just a few minutes ago. 
That's one area that we really want to get into through our engagement with healthcare workers across the province. Now, the reality of it is not every healthcare worker can tie directly into every board that's going to be contemplated or executives on every single decision. There's a practicality there of decisions that need to be made at an organizational level and decisions that can be made um, at, on the ground when delivering services. And that on-the-ground decision-making is something we really want to explore with healthcare workers. We know one of the big downsides of a large single bureaucracy is that uh, staff can be lost through that. And what we want to accomplish through this new model is not only key areas of focus around continuing care, mental health, acute care, and uh, primary care, but we also want to unlock the innovation that happens on the ground with healthcare workers that are serving patients every day. And this engagement is really focused on trying to understand where those opportunities are and creating systems and decision-making processes that allow people to make decisions that are in the best interest of, the, of a patient and that can be made in a timely way to benefit all parties. And, and that's really a key area of the staff engagement we're launching into here in the next few weeks. And I'll turn it over to Dr. Oberg. Yeah, thank you, Andre. And the other element of it is the policy versus operational. And I think no one will argue that the policy side is best left in Alberta Health, whereas the operational side will move to Alberta Health Services and the four bodies that are, are going to come out of it. Um, I like to view the abilities that we're putting forward is, is enabling the frontline worker. Um, those of us sitting around this table do not have all the answers, but we're expecting and we want you guys to tell us the answers to some of the problems. Uh, tell us a better way to do things. Tell us a way that we can uh, be more efficient. Make your job easier while giving better patient care. Thanks so much for that, Dr. Oberg. The next question is submitted from Patty listening online. And Patty says, will the new mental health organization identify service gaps and ensure they are addressed? For example, we need better preventative services for subacute patients. And so I'll ask my colleague, Deputy Minister Evan Romano to please go ahead. Great, thanks for the question. And yeah, absolutely, Patty, that's precisely why there needs to be that dedicated focus. I, I would say that's why on the mental health addiction side, there has been years with more dedicated lean-in with a, a brand new ministry established to respond to the needs that we're seeing, uh, which certainly have worsened on both the mental health and addiction fronts in, in recent years. But to absolutely think a, a little bit more upstream in the preventative spaces that you're talking uh, about that is 100% the area that we need to continue focusing. It's why there needs to be more connections as it's being established, connections with Ministry of Seniors and Community and Social Services, Children's Services, a bunch of different ministries that do have a lot of those social determinants of health type of preventative mechanisms that are, are really needed to build those solid foundations so people don't even need to get into the, the more acute uh, space to, to deal with issues that they may be facing in communities. So yes, 100%, that's the, the priority and part of the rationale for this type of dedicated lean-in. Thanks, Evan. 
just a reminder for anyone who has not had a chance yet to join the conversation. There's still time for you to press star three and enter into this conversation with us today, or for those listening online, to submit that question into the online portal. I'll keep things moving along to Elena, who is listening online and asks the following question. Where does home care fall into in the new system? What will be done to access home care across the organizations? And so I'll ask Deputy Minister Andre Tremblay to please go ahead. Very important question. And, and home care is a critical component to any continuing care uh, suite of programs in any jurisdiction. And, and we have a lot of catching up to do on home care in Alberta. There are some really good home care providers in the province. But interprovincially, Alberta is falling behind on the adoption of, of uh, home care options for our frail and elderly. And, and so home care will sit within the continuing care organization. It'll be a very strong key area of focus for us. And one of the um, mandates of the new continuing organization is to uh, better understand how we can broaden healthcare or home care options for Albertans and what kind of programming and investment will be required to do that. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for that, Andrea. And I would say that home care is a very good example of where we absolutely have to have the continuity of care across all four sectors. Um, home care is not only continuing care. Home care is discharge planning to make sure that people uh, go home from the acute care facilities in the best possible fashion um, so that there are services available. So this is critical when it comes to continuity of care and home care is something that is probably understated, but very, very valuable. Thanks, Dr. Oberg. The next question is submitted from Alan, who's listening online. And Alan says, I'm a family physician and I had a chance to read about the primary care changes. It seems exciting, but I want clarity on whether the primary care organization will take over my practice. Really important question, and we've received it on a number of occasions over the last number of days. And unequivocally, the primary care organization will not be taking over your individual practices. The primary care organization is unique in its comparison to the other three. The other three will have uh, direct control and influence over different elements of program delivery. Primary care will be more coordinative in nature. And simply the reason why is because we have so many different operators in the primary care community, uh, so many different models of delivery. We have PCNs, individual clinics, we have primary care clinics, um, we have primary care professionals operating in rural uh, facilities. It's a very eclectic and broad mix of, of um, healthcare workers and of, uh, of different uh, modes of operation. And so this will be more coordinative in nature. It's about bringing that community together to work on critical things like increased attachment, better uh, coordination of services, um, stronger information sharing as well. And we've had lots of conversations around Connect Care as an example and actually exploring uh, alternate payment structures to better facilitate uh, stronger care and attachment. So we, we, through that organization, will not be stepping into individual clinics, 
but we will be working with all parties in the primary care system to ensure we have strong coordination and probably of greatest importance, um, as much coverage as possible in attaching individual Albertans to a primary care professional. Thanks so much, Deputy Minister Tremblay. The next question is going to be Matthew, who's listening live this morning in Edmonton. Uh, Matthew, you can go ahead. Your line is now open. Uh, thank you for the call or taking my call. Uh, currently, physicians uh, work under provincial medical staff bylaws, along with zone medical staff rules and privileges for where physicians can work and what they can do. And the recruitment of physicians that's managed by each zone. So these are important background functions like medical staff bylaws, privileges and recruitment. So how will they be managed under the new system? Will it be uh, done by sector or is it gonna be centralized somehow like either under the integration council or under Alberta Health directly? Thanks so much, Matthew. And I'll ask Dr. Oberg to please go ahead. Yeah, certainly, and thank you, Matthew. That's one of the things that we're looking at is where exactly is the best place for that. I think there needs to be some generic medical staff bylaws, for example, that apply province-wide, but there also needs to be some bylaws that are flexible enough for the individual circumstances. So we'll continue to work with uh, everyone involved in the medical staff bylaws. Um, when it comes to whether or not they'll be zone-based, um, in all likelihood they will. But again, I want to keep the flexibility there so that where there are independent individual differences that we're able to make that change to the medical staff bylaws. Um, and again, this is something that uh, will evolve and something that's certainly welcome input. Uh, we're not going to be artificially putting down medical staff bylaws on the medical staff without talking to them first. And it's something that's gotta make sense. Thanks so much, Dr. Oberg. The next question is submitted from Anne, who's listening online. And Anne said, you've stated this decision is not about saving money, but in the procurement and optimization secretariat, it outlines intention to outsource support services, such as host keeping and patient food services. Both are critical to patient flow and care. And so I'll ask Deputy Minister Andre Tremblay to please go ahead. Thanks for the question, and and you're you're absolutely right. We're not looking to um, cut our healthcare budget, and, and I think that's really important to to state very very clearly. Um, that's not the goal. The goal is about patient care. The goal is about supporting healthcare professionals. But there are advantages to larger scale procurement and being able to save dollars on procurement so we can take that savings and reinvest it into the front line. And the procurement secretary is designed to do just that. Um, one of the big advantages uh, of AHS over the last 15 years is they have had a really strong record around provincial scale procurement, whether it's uh, medical supplies, uh, whether it's backroom services, um, and, and I think we need to acknowledge HS in their um, pursuit of maximizing a, a jurisdiction-wide scale as it relates to procurement. What we want to do is take that to the next level. So taking it from uh, just like an, an HS has done a fantastic job, but bringing that from an AHS level 
to a fully provincial level where other elements of the healthcare system can benefit, like continuing care, like primary care, and like mental health and addictions. So it's actually building off the accomplishments of AHS from a procurement point of view and scaling that up further so we can have universal benefit. And when we save money on procurement, that money can be reinvested into the front line, which is where I know we all want to see those dollars invested. And I'll turn it over to Dr. Oberg. Yeah, thanks, Andre. And one of the things I just wanted to add was the the incredible importance of having the economy of scale, the buying power that Alberta Health Services had. All we have to do is look back to the pandemic years and what we saw, and I was looking at it from the outside, but what we saw was Alberta always had a pretty good supply of almost everything and other provinces didn't. And one of the reasons for that was because of the big buying power, which made Alberta Health Services one of the largest buyers in the world of these, uh, the, the healthcare needs. So we can't lose that. Incredibly important, but we can make it better and make it more efficient. We can always do that with everything, but uh, a big hats off to Alberta Health Services for doing that. Thanks. Thanks, Dr. Oberg. The next question is submitted from Shelley listening online and Shelley says, how will this change address wait times for diagnosis, treatment and surgeries? The bottom line and what I look for one, as one of my jobs is to decrease wait times to increase the number of surgeries and diagnostic procedures that are being done in Alberta and hopefully take all wait times to be within the medically necessary range. Um, critically important and uh, something that I'll be working on. And maybe just to follow up on Dr. Oberg's comments, um, if we look at the Minister of Health's uh, mandate letter, wait times are still a, a key component of that. And so as we shift into the new um, structure for healthcare, it doesn't mean we can step back from that very, very definitive direction that has been provided to Alberta Health, to AHS, and, uh, and we'll continue to work on that in parallel. Thanks very much, Deputy Minister Tremblay. The next question is going to be from Sandy, and Sandy is listening live in Edmonton. Sandy, you can go ahead. Your line is now open. Thank you. How will inpatient psychiatry be represented in the new model? Will it be under acute care, addiction and mental health, or some combination of both? Great, yes, uh, Evan from Mental Health and Addiction. So, Sandy, you're probably aware, uh, actually, the current reporting uh, for inpatient psychiatry there already over the last couple months has been that uh, operational uh, alignment under Carrie Bales and the Provincial Addiction and Mental Health team. So we've had some of that realignment take place already behind the scenes, uh, separate and, and before uh, all of this move. The, the main focus, and I think it's so critical to, to point to, there of course will be addiction and mental health components in continuing care, in primary uh, and acute, but really those dedicated services that are very specifically focused and designed for mental health and addiction, that's where there will be greater uh, line of sight with this future state uh, organizational structure. But the, the key is this is not, again, about slicing and dicing 
separate beds within uh, shared facilities. Uh, the patient absolutely has to come first. Uh, and that's where we'll continue to rely on the advice from the front lines about what makes the most sense for, for that oversight. But again, these shifts have already been taking place uh, with the provincialization of, of oversight for mental health and addiction. And, and the intention is to make sure that continues to unfold in a seamless way for Albertans. Thanks very much for that, Deputy Minister Romano. The next question is submitted online from Clinton. And Clinton says, how will the creation of four specialized organizations prevent the risk of over-specialization and ensure integrated holistic care for patients with complex health needs? Really important question. And we've touched on it uh, previously in this session, but I think it's worth repeating. Um, specialization is uh, a key feature of, of where we're moving from a governance point of view, and it's a reflection of the key components of a high-functioning healthcare system. And so that's a really important component to what was announced last week. However, um, if specialization transitions to siloing, then we have a major problem, and I think that's the under kind of current of this question. And so uh, the establishment of an integration council as part of the announcement last week is, is critically important to the overall success of the model. And the mandate of the integration council is to ensure that the four organizations being stood up and the responsibilities of each don't end up gravitating towards a siloed structure. And so that, that um, integration council will have members from each of the organization It'll be led by the Minister of Health, and it'll task those organizations with having those operational and strategic connections so a patient can seamlessly move from one mode of care to another without actually understanding or, frankly, caring about the structures that are in place. The patient journey um, needs to be seamless, and that Integration Council will be working with those four organizations to ensure that that happens. If I can just add something from the physician point of view, generalists are incredibly important. Um, the era where you can survive and only specialists and subspecialists is just simply not there. And generalists, whether it's in the specialty or whether it's in primary care are incredibly important and incredibly valuable to the system. Thanks very much, Dr. Oberg. The next question comes from Hassan who's listening online and it says, what will happen to the outpatient clinics that AHS operates out of hospitals? For example, uh, genetics clinics, et cetera. Yeah, outpatient clinics are a key component of the acute care system uh, based on many of the clinical services that are delivered there. And there's no changes um, being contemplated. Those still need to be connected in with AHS in their broader mandate. And, uh, and so I don't anticipate any significant changes there. Thanks for the question. Thanks very much for that, Deputy Minister Tremblay. The next question comes in from Marie, who's listening online. And Marie says, I currently work for AHS in continuing care. Who will I be working for when all of these changes happen? You know, I think it depends on your specific uh, role in continuing care. So uh, if uh, you're involved in frontline delivery, um, AHS has two subsidiaries that deliver continuing care services across the province. Um, 
AHS will continue to operate those two subsidiaries, but those uh, AHS will be reporting up to the continuing core, uh, care organization. If you're involved in strategy or administration or policy, um, there may be a chance that you end up moving to the provincial continuing care organization. But uh, those decisions and those moves uh, need to be very carefully considered and no decisions have been made at this point, but that'll be part of the process as we move towards standing up a continuing care organization in the spring of 2024. Thanks very much for that, Deputy Minister Tremblay. And keeping the conversation going again this afternoon, our next participant is listening live from Wetaskiwin, and this is Tasha. Tasha, go ahead, your line is open. Hi, uh, yeah, I just read somewhere that um, you were planning on renaming Alberta Health Services, and so I'm just hoping to have some clarification on that and whether you're actually really planning to rename a already built brand. Not at this point, absolutely not. Thanks, Dr. Oberg. Moving along to the very next question. This is submitted from Connor, who's listening online. And Connor says, will you be engaging with Indigenous people to provide input into the new system? Absolutely. And, and there's multiple ways in which that'll happen. As Minister LaGrange mentioned, there's going to be the establishment of an Indigenous regional uh, advisory council that will feed directly into um, the department and AHS and other key organizations. We are standing up a new Indigenous health division within Alberta Health uh, to reflect the importance of that population within our overall health plan. And if you recall, uh, recently, about two and a half weeks ago, we announced uh, the new MAPS or uh, primary care strategy for the province. And there are a number of touch points within that strategy for Indigenous people to advise and provide advice on how to best serve that very important population provincially. Thanks very much, Deputy Minister Tremblay. The next question comes from Julie, and she's listening online. And Julie says, will AHS board meeting agendas and minutes be shared with the public as they used to be? Yeah, the answer, Julie, is absolutely. Uh, we are governed by exactly the same legislative um, legislation as we have been in the past. So the answer to that is yes. Uh, board agendas and the board meetings themselves will be done in public and will be made available. Thanks, Dr. Oberg. The next question is from Franz, and Franz is listening online and says, how will this change address the current need um, for more doctors and nurses in Alberta? We do have chronic shortages in most of our healthcare professional uh, categories within the province, and we've touched on it on a number of occasions during the call, and I think it just underscores the importance of it and, and the fact that it's on, on people's minds. Um, there's a number of different areas that we're pursuing uh, across the province with the federal government and with our partners on increasing the pipeline for doctors, nurses, other allied health professionals. We've touched on a few of those today, um, working with the post-secondaries, working with the College of Physicians, and working, frankly, with the federal government to open up um, processes and criteria to bring more people into Alberta. Workforce challenges, are, are it's a global issue. Every jurisdiction in the world is dealing with shortages in healthcare. 
Um, it's another key area of the minister's mandate letter, and it, it's another reason why we want to talk to healthcare professionals as well to get a better understanding from them on barriers that they may have experienced when they entered the workforce in, in Alberta as a jurisdiction. And I'll turn it over to uh, Dr. Oberg. Yeah, thank you, Andre. And as frontline workers and as healthcare workers, we all went into it for one reason, and that is that we wanted to provide patient care. We wanted to work with patients. We wanted to deal with patients. And unfortunately, over the past number of years, uh, there's been an increasing amount of time that is spent on paperwork, that is spent on non-patient care activities. So by making uh, the ability to work with patients more. We hope that we'll make a desirable environment for all healthcare workers to come into Alberta and come and live in Alberta and enjoy the Alberta Advantage, although I understand that that may not be the, the motto these days, but the Alberta Advantage is still alive and well, and we want to make sure it, it continues that way. Thanks, Dr. Oberg. The next question is submitted from Jean, who's listening online, and Jean says, Will the new mental health and addiction organization oversee patient complaints about AMH providers? And so I'll ask uh, Deputy Minister Evan Romano with the Department of Mental Health and Addiction to please go ahead. Great. Thanks for the question, Jean. And it's an important one because it's an area we need to, through this, continue driving in to make sure the concerns you know, complaints, uh, feedback, and otherwise, and, and the rights of, of patients are being addressed. There is a robust Office of the Alberta Health Advocate structure in place, which, as you likely know, includes the mental health advocate. And work has been underway to expand and, and strengthen that particular function. I think part of the details that will absolutely need to be sorted out is the direct connections in between that Alberta Health Advocates Office uh, and these structures going forward because they are cross-cutting. Uh, and we know that, of course, within Alberta Health Services, there's a, a patient's complaint process uh, as well. So I, we're going to have to finalize some of those details about where Albertans know they can call to, to make sure call or, or reach out to, uh, make sure that they know their concerns are going to be acted upon uh, and that the system and services being delivered are actually going to be responsive to those concerns in a, a real uh, robust and timely way. So uh, again, there are bodies that exist. We'll need to confirm some of those details for alignment, but that oversight uh, and advocacy function is absolutely critical going forward. Thanks, Evan. The next question today is going to come from Hillary, who's listening live from Sherwood Park. Um, Hillary, you can go ahead. Your line is now open. Hi, thanks for taking my question. Um, it's twofold, I guess, in nature. I'm just wondering that given that the majority of primary care in Alberta is offered, you know, in community practices that don't fall under the umbrella of AHS, how is the government planning to support these practices that are, you know, for lack of better words, drowning right now and barely able to keep their doors open, given that the primary care um, portfolio isn't really looking to be addressed until the fall of 2024? And further to that, you know, it looks like there's plans for investment into infrastructure and NP clinics. But my question is why um, recreate the wheel when we just we have it already? It's just needing way more support than we're actively getting. Thanks. Thanks so much for the question. And, and I, I think it's uh, the comment you made around clinics uh, struggling is is obviously real. And we're hearing and about it and seeing it across the province. And part of the MAPS announcement really focused on some of those fundamental issues around 
administrative burden on clinics. Uh, I know I've talked to a number of, of family physicians and they're just struggling to manage the administration and the grind of, of operating a clinic and it takes them away from the patient. And, and some of the compensation models may not be conducive to managing some of those clinic operations that are creating challenges and in some cases um, creating such challenges that the clinics are struggling to stay open. So part of that MAPS initiative was to actually establish a, a group of, of people, including frontline uh, physicians and, and other primary care professionals, to look at how we can re reduce that administrative burden, how we can look at our compensation model in the province, and also to how to better coordinate efforts across multiple clinics so we can get economies of scale and, and take burden off of, of individual clinics that might be struggling. All of that work has been started. And so um, that's not, uh, that work's not going to wait for the establishment of the primary care organization. It'll actually feed directly into the primary care organization when it's stood up and we will have advice and we'll have um, mandates for that organization to solve some of those issues in conjunction with the department and other partners across the system. Yeah, if I could just add, um, I've certainly heard this from a lot of my colleagues around the province when it comes to primary care. And it seems like there are different reasons in different places. And quite frankly, we need to find out what those are. Um, you know, I'm available, I'm going to talk to the primary care clinics and the primary care physicians will be, you know, very, very important for me. Um, primary care system has to succeed. Any healthcare system has to have a fundamentally viable primary care system. And so I want to find out what's going on in there and uh, we'll do something about it. Thanks so much, Dr. Oberg. Looks like we have time for just one more question. This is from Matt, who was listening online. And Matt says, will AHS continue implementing the recommendations from the AHS review? So that review was undertaken about two and a half, three years ago. There are a number of recommendations in there that have already been implemented. Another number of them are in flight. Um, and I, I think, you know, ultimately it'll be up to the minister and the board to work together on whatever is remaining in that report to evaluate whether those recommendations still make sense in this future context. Thank you so much, Deputy Minister Tremblay. And before we conclude this telephone town hall, I do want to invite uh, both Dr. Oberg and Deputy Minister Andre Tremblay to share some closing remarks. Dr. Oberg, why don't we start with you? Sure, thank you very much. And I'd just like to thank everyone who called in. Thank you for your comments, your concerns, your ideas. Uh, it's incredibly important to see. And, and thank you very much for the tenor of your questions. Uh, they were all good. Um, they all showed concern. And uh, I think together we're going to, at the end of the day, have a much, much, much better healthcare system. And that's our goal in Alberta Health Services now. Thanks, Dr. Oberg. And on behalf of the Minister of Health, uh, Minister LaGrange, I just want to echo Dr. Oberg's comments. Uh, this is the second town hall that we've had and the quality of questions are, are very high. We're learning a lot through the questions. 
And, and so we hope the session is informative for you because it's certainly informative for us in terms of informing uh, the work that we need to do and just reinforcing the responsibility that we have to you and to Albertans to get this right. So thank you very much for the, uh, the questions and, uh, and we'll take them to heart, uh, each and every one of them, thanks. Thank you again for your participation today. And if you would like to continue the conversation, you can join us again today at 6 p.m. for another 90-minute telephone town hall. If you missed this town hall or any part of it and you would like to listen to a recording, it will be shared online at alberta.ca slash healthcare. Again, that's alberta.ca slash healthcare, where you can find a recording from this town hall, other town halls, and other important information on how to remain part of this conversation as we continue to refocus healthcare in Alberta. Thank you for your time and have a great day.